people would say enthusiastically, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a financial advisor. And they would physically lean their body away from me. So I had to do some, some soul searching. I had to really look at who I serve, who did I love to work with, and who could I help the most. And I think that's really for any business. Life is really, really short and running a business is really, really difficult. You know, at the end of the day, we, we want to work with the willing. Welcome to the Next Level Advisor. On this week's episode, Jennifer Lee, founder of Modern Wealth, discusses the personal motivations that drive her approach to financial advising, exploring how building relationships from a perspective of empathy creates a solid foundation for planning opportunities. Well, we're here with Jennifer Lee. Jennifer, it is awesome to see you. I just always love having a conversation and talking with you and talking about your practice. Jennifer runs a firm called Modern Wealth down in Sarasota, Florida. You know, always start these conversations. It's such an unprecedented time. I mean, um, it's just really weird. So you have these discussions to find out from people. So how's everything going in your world? It's a, it is absolutely a crazy time. Unfortunately, um, for, for myself and my family and uh, most of my clients, the people who've contracted COVID have, have uh, recovered and, and done okay. So it's a very scary time, you know. You know, we've been basically since the end of February, virtual as a firm. And we've been down this road, you know, hurricanes and such, where you just push a button and boom, everybody's out. So, you know, operating, you know, in our world as a conduit between product manufacturers and, and end distribution and advisors, for us, it's been very effective. But, you know, from the advisor side, talk to them, getting a mixed bag, right? We're getting a mixed bag of conversations. But you know what? Before we even get into this conversation, what we like to do is we like to say, I'd like you to say three things about yourself. And one of them is not going to be true. I'm going to try to figure it out. And uh, by the end of the discussion, we'll let the audience know exactly what's true and what's not. Well, this was an interesting um, exercise. So um, <clears throat> I'm originally from Virginia. Um, second thing is I own a luxury nail salon in St. Petersburg. And the last thing is I would much prefer to complete your tax return than to write a book. Completing a tax return versus writing a book. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm going to be really interested to get to figure out here as we get through this discussion, which one of these things is not true. I think I have an idea, but... I'll be really interested. And I think that the, the listeners will be really interested to hear. So I've had these conversations with a lot of our partners. Jennifer's a member of our lead advisor platform, has been a partner of our firm for, for, for a number of years and, and has an incredible practice in Sarasota. I mean, obviously, top of mind is COVID. Top of mind is running a practice in this environment. Because like I said, for us as a, as a conduit, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different discussion. But for, for somebody that is out there dealing with clients, on a consistent day-to-day basis, not just with existing clients, but trying to grow a business in this environment. Tell tell us what you're doing, and you know, I know it's been front of mind for you. So let's 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 talk a little bit about what's happening in this environment, and how you're running the practice. Sure. Well, you know, when COVID first happened and we shut down and started working from home, that's a big adjustment. You know, we have we had. Um, Laptops that had that had um, video cameras, but not necessarily the uh, speaker. So you, then you have to figure out how to make sure your Bluetooth. I mean, you guys are much more evolved from a technological perspective because you have this amazing team that has everything set up. 
And so we had to kind of get ourselves positioned. And you can imagine to buy a video camera um, was impossible in March. Um, they weren't available. They were on back order for months. So, but in any event, we got things started. And then it's a matter of getting your clients acclimated to this new environment um, and getting them set up on Zoom and being able to have those conversations and making connections that are meaningful. Our relationships with our clients are deep. And they involve, um, they involve meetings over dinner. They involve meetings over lunch. They involve in-person meetings. They involve hugs. And, you know, we can't really do that on Zoom. So that's been challenging. We've done creative things like send clients a bottle of wine and schedule a evening review um, and a meeting with them at 6.30 at night so that we can share a drink together and share a little bit of time. Um, this is a relationship business and you have to figure out ways to continue that relationship when you can't actually see them. I, I, you know, I love that concept, the idea of kind of connecting with clients for business, but on a personal level. Right. And we've heard a lot of feedback about that. Right. It's it's getting clients comfortable with engaging. Some of the feedback you get is the clients kind of once they get acclimated, they kind of enjoy it because it, it's a lot less invasive. You know, this kind of you know, the, the problem is for, for us on the other side of the fence, the connection is is missing right? That the personal connection is missing, which is what I love you trying to build that bridge by doing things like sending them a you know, bottle of wine and sit down and having a glass of wine and having a discussion. Um, you know, we've, we've seen things like that, like virtual happy hours and these types of things. And then, you know, some of your EAP counterparts, I mean, you look at a guy like George and what he's been at George Thompson out in California, but he, what he's been doing and how he's been leveraging it. And it's, he's kind of like taking it into fifth gear and putting 250 people on, you know, zoom meetings and, so it's, everybody has a little bit of a different approach and take. And that's kind of what we try to do here about, in, 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 you know, during this podcast is to, is to have um, insight from very successful advisors that we partner with where, you know, you're out there and you're saying, because that piece of it, that personal piece of it, it, it's woven deep into your, into your business. You know, maybe, maybe you can speak a little bit about that because I, you know, I know the, the, the love letter component and, you know, the, how that weaves into your business, um, that personal connection. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, about how you, you know, how that really comes about with your clients and your thought process with your, with your clients. Um, and, and even maybe extend into that, the love, the love letter component, the, the, the financial love letter, that piece that you have on the site and, and, and those engagements, maybe you can speak a little bit about that. Sure. The financial love letter has been a, a cornerstone piece of my practice probably for the last um, eight to 10 years. And it's really just been um, a way to communicate financial topics um, and, and pull it all together. And really it just, it, my clients and most of our clients, I would imagine, you know, they care about their family, they care about um, their children, and they want to make sure that everybody is left in a in a healthy and a um, financially viable space. And so I, I do a presentation called Writing Your Family Love Letter and talk about the importance and the value in communicating what's important to you. And that could be and also the important topics like, you know, what do you want to have, you know, at your funeral? And that can be a little bit um, daunting, but 
I was doing this presentation for a number of years. And then my father, who's a, who's a very important person in my life, um, was diagnosed with glioblastoma, um, which is a very, very bad brain tumor. And he was an advisor and we had about five months with him. So my father communicated his love letter in person. And that was really exceptional. We were given the gift and the opportunity to, to learn what was most valuable to him. On a Friday, they thought he had a, he was having a stroke. So the hospital gave him a baby aspirin and that aspirin was really a gift for our family. So what, in, what happened was the, the brain surgeon said, I can't operate on you for at least a week. And we were planning to go on a family vacation literally the very next day. So we all were able to go and have a cathartic time and, and share some space together. And so the first morning of our vacation, my father communicated his family love letter. Didn't really know what he, that he was doing that, but he said, okay, you know, I never talked to you about money. Here's what your mother's going to have. Here's the IRAs. Here's how the house is going to be paid off. I'm going to pay that off next week. Here's what we'll do with my business. He talked about who was important in his life, um, who were his mentors, um, what they meant to him. He talked about us. He talked about his grandchildren. Um, it was just really an exceptional experience. And it just made me really want to anchor that with my clients so that they can communicate all of those pieces. Because when you think about it, financial planning is all about what kind of life insurance do you have? Where are your passwords? Who are the trusted advisors? What kind of accounts do you have? And for my business, my practice is primarily made of uh, made up of what I would call the non-moneyed spouse. And that is the person who doesn't want to deal with money, really. Doesn't have an interest or an aptitude for it. Doesn't mean they're not intelligent. They're certainly very capable, but it's just not something that is curious to them. So having the family love letter for somebody like that is particularly important. And my mom is one of those people. It's those personal stories in the business, right? That that really that really translate. And and it also, you know, it it, it comes from a place of like real transparency. You know, you're sitting here, you're talking to us about your your relationship with your father and how special that time was. And it's impossible to manufacture that. And, and so that's the part of it to me that's just such a, you know, it's, that's the, it's going to sound kind of corny, right? But it's the noble part of our profession that we have the ability to do that, like to live through an experience and then take that and translate it to other people yeah. who need that, that help. It's kind of like we talk about legacy all the time. Obviously, we're in the insurance business. So you talk about legacy and people, a lot of people immediately kind of put pause on the legacy discussion because they're like, legacy, what do you mean? Like estate planning? I don't have an estate. I'm not wealthy enough or I'm not. And it's like, it's not about that. This conversation is about real life and what you actually are would like to accomplish for the people that you love. And it's just a beautiful thing to me to, to, to hear you talk about that story because you can tell that it, it had such a profound impact in your life. And then you get to multiply that. You know, I've had a great pleasure of talking to a lot of very successful professionals in this business and everybody's got a little bit of a different story, you know? So let's talk about stories. What actually prompted or led you to write a book? Well, now I'm going to give you the answer to some of the truths and um, lies in the beginning. But um, 
you know, I met with a marketing person in September of last year and we were chatting about, I, I said, look, I did a, I did a presentation to 35 business women and, um, and it was really fun. And I was able to, uh, I, I just did the love letter presentation and then I offered to have a no cost, no obligation conversation with anybody who would like. Um, it was, it was sponsored by a, by a bank. And um, the bank was kind enough to give me their conference room. So for two Thursdays, I offered these slots. And I had six people who came in and brought in stuff and had questions. And that's always fun for me. You know, what's your burning question? What are you anxious about? And how can I help resolve or give you direction? That's a financial advisor's uh, comfort zone and ease of um, space. So I did that. And out of 35 people, six meetings, I got a very large high net worth client out of that in a relationship that I very much enjoy. And this is a client who, in the course of a review, we were discussing her situation and she said, oh my gosh, I have to buy a car. I'm so anxious about it and, and it makes me crazy. I don't like to do it. And this is a business owner, a very successful independent woman, a mom. She can buy a car. She can negotiate a car. And I just offered to her, I said, hey, listen, I'm not tied to your vehicle purchase. I'm not emotionally invested in it. If you tell me the color and the model that you want, I will put it out on the internet and have all these people come and torture me and I will negotiate your vehicle for you. And so that's what I did. So it's just, but the point of the story is I was able to do in with a small conversation, uh, 35 people, I got the ideal client out of that. And so in talking to this marketing person, I said, how can I reach more of those people? You're only, in my business, it's no like, and trust. People don't do business with me until they know, like, and trust me. And this woman says, said to me, you have to write a book. And I said, I'm not writing a book. And she said, you have to write a book. And I said, I'd rather do your tax returns. <laughs> so she gave me an outline based on our conversation and I started to flesh it out. And then through the time of COVID, it, it just, it built and built and built. And now it's something I'm, I'm really excited about and really proud about. Um, it's also something that's, um, as we're having new, new client meetings, I'm going, oh, that's chapter three. Oh, that's chapter four. And so it's, I think it will be valuable when it's done for a client or a prospective client to be able to take something and then read through it um, and go, oh, that makes more sense now. Or I remember she said this, but I couldn't, you know, answer all the questions after the fact. So I think it's going to be a, a valuable tool. So you think about that and you think about, okay, what's the best way to communicate kind of the experience a client's going to get is by, you know, telling a bunch of stories of what experience other clients have gotten. And um, that's no small task, you know, to engage sit sitting down and writing a book, especially if you'd rather be doing somebody's taxes. So that is definitely commendable. Um, how are you going to use it? Or is it going to be something where kind of you, you, you're, you're, you may have a prospect or somebody that you might be talking to, you're going to share a copy of the book, um, obviously, you know, it'll be a place where people can almost interact emotionally. They can get engaged and, you know, and see that, that the conversation with you, and this is what I'm getting out of this, the conversation with you is going to go well beyond like, okay, this is how I'm going to structure your portfolio, right? This is a, this is, this is, if that's the conversation that a client is looking for, you're not the right person. I, I take it, but how are you going to use the book? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's continually evolving. So initially, you know, the thought was to, 
to be able to send it to existing clients and they're going to have a deeper understanding of of the other areas that I serve. But the more and more I think about it, you know, um, I'm fortunate enough that that I love what I do. I, I've I've been in this business for a long time, and we have a lot of advisory clients. So so year over year, our business is growing. I really want to leverage this in, in a couple of ways. One way is I want to have speaking engagements, and I want that to do that because I believe that those 35 people in that room as a, in that example all got something out of the conversation. They're either going to go home and write their love letter. They either learn a basic one or two things about, you know, how financial planning is simple. I talked about, are you an ostrich? You know, do you stick your head in the sand when you think about these things and why you shouldn't? Um, and some basic tools about, you know, financial awareness. Um, and things that you can do to get more confident in your own financial picture. So I think that there's value in, in communicating to the masses. Everybody's going to get something out of it. But the hope is to reach that, that targeted market, which is that non-moneyed spouse. And I'm interviewing marketing people, PR people, and you know, it's, it is evolving at present. I think a lot of advisors do struggle with the idea of how do I classify the characteristics of the ideal client for me. How do I classify that? You know, and, and, I, and this is now maybe more tailored towards, let's say, the younger advisor who is five years in the business and the practice is getting started and they're and they're and they're going. But they, you, they realize that almost without fail, all the successful advisors you talk to all have a specific type of client that they end up working with. So maybe give us some of those characteristics and kind of give me a, a little bit of a background of the evolution of that for you. I think it'd be really important for advisors to hear that. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's something that you hear as a, as a young advisor, you should have a niche and um, you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm trying to make money and build relationships. And it doesn't matter to me if it's um, an, an architect or, uh, a widow or a divorcee or an attorney, there's no, you, you don't want to be choosy because you're too concerned about missing an opportunity. And I think that you got to get over that because that was probably the, the biggest single shift in my uh, economic growth as an advisor was defining my niche. So let me just say that uh, I would describe my niche as transition. Okay, and I'll talk about uh, the focus on women in financial transition um, in just a minute because I have a funny story. So it's transition. So um, buying or selling a business, relocating. I have sometimes I have clients that are relocating to to Florida from another area and they're interviewing advisors and we we have an opportunity to become one of those. Sometimes I have um, older couples and um, the moneyed spouse, often the husband, will say, I just need to meet somebody and make sure that my wife is going to be taken care of. So they're vetting me to make sure that their spouse is going to be in good hands. So they'll come a couple of years before, you know, before maybe they, they want to stop managing things themselves. So divorce, loss of spouse, um, inheritance, those are really, that's kind of really my, my focus. But when I shifted my practice and, and, and developed a niche was when I relocated to Florida. And I moved here and, you know, I started to go to some networking events. I needed to meet people. I needed to find, um, you know, some people I could go to lunch with and start networking and doing business. 
And I went to these networking events and I would, people would say enthusiastically, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a financial advisor. And they would physically lean their body away from me. And I would get one of two responses. My husband handles that. Or I have one of you. And I thought, wait a minute. Even if your husband handles it, you have to have a grip on what your financial picture is, at least have some idea of where things are going and what you have and where it sits. But that's neither here nor there. And I'm certain you don't have one of me. But um, <laughs> so I had to do some, some soul searching. I had to really look at who I serve, all my clients that I had for, for so many years in Maryland and still did. Who did I love to work with? Who, who were advocates? Who raved about me and told their friends? Who could I help the most? And so I developed that, that down to, it was women in financial transition. So now when I go to a networking event with women, Someone will ask me, what do you do? And I say, I work with women in financial transition. And they say, well, what does that mean? And I say, well, I find that working with um, women who are going through a divorce or recently widowed, they have a lot of balls up in the air and they need a lot of help making a path forward. And we act as a sounding board and counsel for that. And they go, oh, my best friend is going through a divorce. Can I have your card? Or can you tell me more about this? And so it's a it's a it's all about making yourself relatable and not scary. At least that's how I develop my practice. I, lo- I you know I love it. And for for everybody for all the listeners out there, right? I got four. Jennifer said four things. She said, you know, when identifying that group, it's who do I like to work with? Who are those that are advocating for me? Who rave about what I do for them the most? And who, who have I had the opportunity to help the most? And I think that's really for any business. Life is really, really short. And running a business is really, really difficult. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we, we want to work with the willing. If you're running a business and you think about those four things, I think that is a very easy way to define the market that you want to work with. Because I don't think a lot of advisors take the time to define it, you know? They really don't. Okay, so I work with some dentists over here and I work with some doctors over here and I have these business owners. And But these are questions, you know, that go beyond the details of somebody's business or what they do. This is more about personal connection. That's what I'm getting. Going back to the original discussion, right, that you built your business really on that personal connection, which is interesting, especially in an environment where it's difficult now to, to engage personally. But I, that's why I love the idea of bringing all those personal connections to stories and putting it down in writing, even though you you hate doing it. Many of you know um, Terry Trespicio, who we partner with on the branding side. She's, she's an advocate for getting past all the clutter and sitting down and writing some content. So if you're listening to this and, and, uh, and Jennifer's inspired you a little bit to think about, here's somebody that would rather be doing taxes who wrote a book, you can do it too. And I think it's important to reach that connection. One of the other questions I, I ask a lot to the guests that we, that we have on the podcast, I, I ask them, what is that one piece of advice that you would give to an advisor today about how to operate in this environment or you know, how to run a business or whatever? Just what, what do you think is a key piece of advice that you would want to give to the advisors out there today? So if I were um, more junior in the business in this environment, I would try to find an advisor that's experienced and see how I could um, 
how I could help them make their practice more efficient and buy in that way. Um, I think that's going to be the lowest hanging fruit for them. Um, you know, for, for an experienced advisor who has a practice, I think one of the things that we did in, in 2019, which has been tremendously helpful and I would recommend it to everybody is to go through your entire book. Um, I brought on an advisor, an experienced advisor who was retiring from Ohio. She is my right hand and she is amazing and I am happy to pay her and happy to bonus her. She's worth every nickel. But we went through my, having somebody new come in, um, we went through my entire practice and um, adjusted and reaffirmed and shored up every client's risk tolerance, every client's um, life insurance situation, every client's consideration of long-term care, every client's um, review of their um, existing annuity contracts, does it make sense to maintain or change? Um, and so it's hard to do that when you've been in the business a long time to even think about that onerous task. But if you have an experienced new hire for you, I think that's a fantastic project to go through. And it, it benefits everybody. It benefits the practice, but it benefits your clients because everything is tightened up and fresh. And it benefits the new person because they're able to meet all of your clients, they're able to improve your processes and your business is more streamlined. And honestly, there is no way I could have written the book had we not done that in advance. I would not have had the, one of my friends calls the brain space, yeah. um, you know, to, to do it. That is incredible advice because, you know, what I've, what I've come to find out in talking to folks as we've been kind of navigating through this craziness, and I bet you saw this a lot when you were engaging the clients in your practice, but clients' objectives change. People think differently. It's interesting as you, as you think about uh, the insurance industry, for example, right? Carriers and insurance companies have had to get very creative and move faster than they like to move because in the middle of a pandemic, nobody wants somebody walking in their house, sticking them with a needle. You know what I mean? And so it's those types of things. But but then when you start looking at the, the thought process of clients, which we've seen has kind of people are thinking about things like their mortality and and, uh, you know, it's, it's all all of that is front and center. So that the objectives change, you know, what's happened is we've seen in our own family how many evenings we're sitting around the table having dinner, you know, and so it's it's been, you know, a blessing. Praise, you know, praising God that everybody is well and healthy, but it's been a blessing because you're, you're I think, and families are realizing this, that you're gaining time that you didn't have. And I think that's a, that's an important piece of it, to your point, is to say, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to have to get creative and do some things different. So, I'm, you know, you, you have, you bring somebody on to kind of leverage, and I believe in leverage to the 10th degree. I, I, I'm the guy that pays somebody to put Christmas lights up on my house. I believe leverage, you know, times 10. But you bring someone in that can handle those kind of conversations that has some experience, not somebody that you have to hold their hand. So then you're freed up, right? You're freed up to do things like cool stuff, like write a book, right? Even though you might not think that's cool, probably it's cooler to you to, to do someone's taxes. But um, I think that's great advice. And uh, and I think I think a lot of advisors are having to reinvent themselves in this environment and, re and rethink about their business model. 
in the COVID environment, life insurance has become that much more important. Being in the industry, you have value in it. I mean, I grew up with it. My dad was an insurance agent for, for 48 years. Um, I played in his office on Saturdays while I was doing stuff. I went to, to, to client meetings. I didn't really know what was going on, but um, basically I knew he, he helped people. And he, uh, so I believe in life insurance since I was very young. But, you know, people don't like to talk about it. They don't, they don't like to think about their mortality, generally speaking. They do want to protect their family. So as agents, we're always trying to um, help them think through it and help them get to the point of making sure they take care of that. Um, one of the things that that kind of woke me up uh, early one morning related to that is uh, future insurability. So I have two young nieces that are 21 and, tw- and 19, and the 19-year-old is freshman in college this year, and her one of her best friends got COVID, right? Um, she's, at, she's going to school in Miami. She got COVID. And so I called my sister. I said, listen, you just have to hear me out do with information what you'd like, but I got to tell you this. So I'm concerned about the girl's future ability to get insurance one day when they need it, when they're married, when they are having children. Um, and, you know, the, the best friend and my niece go for insurance. Well, the rating on my niece, if she never got COVID, is going to be much better than the rating on the child that had COVID, I would think. And so I think that there's some value in planning ahead. Um, Again, it's like you can you can always get more coverage. You can always um, get the best products when you're healthy and you're younger. Um, So I think that that future insurability is a consideration um, as a selling point. The industry is kind of operating in an unknown, which is never a good thing for insurance companies. You, you, you have very, you got a very interesting environment, Jennifer, now with where obviously the interest rate environment has put significant pressure on insurance companies. I think you're, you're seeing some of that by carriers, for example, to, you know, cutting out some of their wholesale force, those types of things, some cost cutting because, you know, the Fed is, I guess, what we're to 2025, at least, that we're in this environment. So you got to assume they're going to make long-term decisions um, as an insurance company. The issue here is that, you know, um, you really have no medical background for what are the long-term results, right? What is this going to actually mean? And I, and so that that's interesting perspective, because I hadn't really thought about insurability, future insurability. Um, you know, we're also seeing that with regard to the the political climate. I mean, you're dealing with deficits that are untenable, right? And you're dealing with uh, a situation where uh, we have a sunsetting estate tax in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen there? What's going to happen with regard to income taxes and where, what direction they're going to go? And, it, and this is not, this is a, you know, doesn't matter what political side of the aisle you're sitting on, the deficit is the deficit, right? And so that's some of the conversations we're having with CPAs across the country, you know, they're, they're all saying the same thing. Like that's, that's a big, big issue, right? In the future, what are income tax rates going to look like in the future? What are, what are state taxes going to look like? What's the exemption going to look like? And these are all things that we have the ability to plan around. Um, it's part of the benefit of the insurance industry. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, these are things, you, it, it, it raises some cause for concern and some thought about things you weren't thinking about before. You weren't sitting in your, you were not, you know, waking up in the morning going, oh my gosh, my 19 year old niece, what's her insurability going to look like, you know, in the future? I wasn't. Yeah. So interesting. 
So I think we kind of nailed these questions. We're going to go to two truths and a lie. So we know, everybody knows, that Jennifer would much rather do taxes than write a book, which I think puts you in some unique company because, uh, you know, I'd rather stab myself in the eye with a fork than do taxes. So I'll tell you that. Now we have that you own a luxury nail salon in St. Pete and that you're originally from Virginia. Now the originally from Virginia piece, you mentioned, okay, well you moved here from Maryland, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not originally from Virginia. So I'm kind of trying to process this, the nail salon thing. I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with the fact that you are not originally from Virginia. I'm going to say that you own a luxury nail salon in St. Pete, and we already know that you'd rather do taxes and write a book. So what's, what's and you're the, going to say that just because it's a crazy item that's listed in there. Yes, precisely. That's precisely why I'm going to say. And you're, and you're completely accurate. Excellent. Excellent. See, I, I mean, and now sometimes there's a crazy item in there and it actually is a crazy item, but you, you kind of, you gave it up a little bit when you talked about moving to Florida from Maryland. So listen, I, I got to tell you, Jennifer, I, I always love just having a few minutes to talk with you. I, I appreciate, we all appreciate more than anything, your partnership, you know, what you mean to the firm and certainly your insights are invaluable and, and hopefully some folks out there uh, hear it and, and uh, it makes sense for their practice. So I just want to tell you, thanks from, from all of us. Very good. Thanks, Jen. Thank appreciate you guys. It. Have a okay. good one.